Welcome to Podcastica Patristica. I'm your host, Tyler Stanley. We're back for part five of our guide through St. Augustine's City of God. I'll be going solo for this episode, and we'll be discussing books nine and ten. To recap what happened in books 7 and 8, Augustine re-entered his dialogue with Varro discussing the natural theology of the philosophers, and natural theology is really just philosophy. Augustine considers this probably the best aspect of pagan theology, it's the most um, intellectual part, the part most easy to be reasoned with. So he spends quite a bit of time discussing polytheism versus pagan monotheism. So the idea of pagan philosophers who said all of that polytheism stuff, it's really stories that help us understand the one true God, which they called something like the world soul, the world spirit, and that all these other gods are parts of the one. And so Augustine tries to poke holes in that whole theory. And then in book eight, he begins talking about Platonism, which he believes is very close to Christianity. Of all the philosophies, he finds it most compatible with Christianity. But ultimately, he says they don't go far enough. They have this idea of the one true God, but they miss out on who that one true God is and his incarnation in Jesus Christ. So in book nine... Augustine jumps back into a discussion that he touched on in earlier books. Uh, He talks about demons. He talked about in book eight, uh, Socrates' demon, this um, sort of lower, sort of angelic figure, this intermediary between Socrates and the gods who told Socrates what he should think and what paths he should go down, just kind of this little divine helper. So Augustine picks this back up in a more broad philosophical discussion of whether there are such things as good demons. And you'll find no surprise that he doesn't think there is such a thing. He believes in demons, of course, but he says there are no such thing as good demons. The Platonists themselves, these great philosophers, their own words he takes and says, even in your own definitions, these things we call demons are not worthy. Augustine cites the definition of demons by the philosopher, this Platonist philosopher, Apuleius. And he says that the demons are animals in respect of species, in respect of soul, they're liable to passions, in mind, they're capable of reason, in body, they're composed of air, and in lifespan, they are eternal. So these five attributes are the definition of a demon, and Augustine says that by this definition, demons are not fit to be mediators between God or the gods and humans, even within the pagan philosophical world. So these demons, the most important aspect that Augustine points out, these demons are subject to passions. And passions are just what you're thinking of. They are emotions that guide you into certain behaviors. And the goal of 
philosophy and and many philosophical circles is to escape these passions to not allow these passions to guide your actions to be governed by reason alone well if these semi-divine beings are subject to passions then that means that they are in a sense enslaved by something they are controlled by something that is not sound reasoning that's not a sound mind and so augustine says that in all of these five attributes this definition of demons by apuleius there's nothing at all which was which would suggest that the demons have something in common with good men that's not also found in bad men so these demons all of the things they have in common with humanity are things that both good and bad people have they can do evil things they can be ruled by their passions in augustine's mind this doesn't make them fit candidates to be the messengers of the gods in fact augustine breaks down the core components of moral beings into two aspects there is temporality and happiness which we've talked about several times remember this is true happiness true uh, freedom from anything immoral now the gods based on these two components the gods have blessed eternity or eternal blessedness so in terms of temporality they are eternal in terms of happiness they are completely blessed humans are on so the gods are at the very top if if in this cosmic structure the gods are at the very top and humans are at the bottom humans in terms of temporality are mortal we have temporary lifespans of course and in terms of happiness we live in augustine's words a miserable existence and that is of ourselves we cannot find happiness happiness is not something we can attain to but now let's talk about the demons in terms of temporality the demons are eternal they live forever but in terms of their happiness they are miserable or they are governed by passions they are not truly free to live a perfectly blessed life so in one sense the demons do have an aspect of the gods and an aspect of humanity but in terms of demons in themselves they are more wretched than humans because humans in platonistic and in christian philosophy humans are able in some way at some point somehow to attain to happiness to true happiness but demons are eternally subject to their passions they are eternally unfree and so augustine says these are not at all beings that can be mediators between god or the gods and humans and in typical apologetic fashion he turns it around and says but who is the perfect mediator who has the perfect combination if we can use that problematic term of heaven and earth of course it's jesus jesus is a fit mediator because he took on our miserable mortality while retaining his eternal blessedness 
And he did this to remove our miserable mortality and to bring us eternal blessedness. And so he says, now, now you philosophers may rightly recoil from the fact that God, God's self took on mortality. But that mortality is gone now because Christ resurrected and he eternally sits at the right hand of the Father. But these demons are eternally wretched. Jesus, the true mediator, the only one who could mediate between these two realms of the divine and the human, perfectly took on humanity and is perfectly God. Who better to bring humanity to eternal blessedness, to eternal happiness? Which, remember, that is the question that Augustine is asking. He's asking, where can we find eternal blessedness? So moving on to book 10. And I have to admit, this is one of the more difficult books for me to get through so far because it's so long and meandery and he really kind of drags his feet here. But the central question that he's asking, he says in the very beginning of the book, is regarding the demons or angels, whatever we want to call them, what is their goal of us? Is it that they wish for us to worship themselves? Do they want us to make sacrifices to them? Or do they wish us to point our worship to God and to God alone? So who do they wish for us to honor? Themselves or the God for whom they mediate? So the question of to whom our worship goes or to whom we make our sacrifices, whatever those sacrifices may be, we have to ask what is the fundamental good, the one thing for which we strive. And Augustine says uh, in chapter 3 of book 10, our good, that final good about which the philosophers dispute is nothing but to cleave to him whose spiritual embrace, if one may so express it, fills the intellectual soul and makes it fertile with true virtues. So that true good is in Christian philosophy, God, God's self. It's the one who fills us with virtue. And remember, for Augustine, these realms of philosophy and morality and religion all commingle. To live the good life, to be truly happy, is to live a moral and virtuous life. And we worship the one who gives us that. Because we can't find it in ourselves, remember, and the demons can't give it to us. So the one true good, which is God, is the only one to whom we should offer our worship and sacrifices. So if any demon or angel requires us to worship them, then we know straight off they cannot be good. They must be evil beings. Now, Christian sacrifice is something that Augustine kind of goes on a little tangent about. He says, now we don't sacrifice animals. Our religion doesn't require that we, you know, kill animals or whatnot, because Jesus was the true sacrifice. Jesus was killed, and we don't need to offer animals as sacrifices. We just offer a contrite heart to God, because that's all God really wanted in the first place. Even in the Hebrew scriptures, that's what God says. I never really wanted these animal sacrifices. I wanted a contrite heart. So it kind of seems like Augustine is trying to put off rumors or 
hesitance about Christianity and potential pagan converts saying, look, whatever, whenever you hear the word sacrifice in Christian circles, this is what we're talking about. So that gets into this weird question of theurgy, which in Augustine's discussion here, he's referring to this idea of summoning the gods or the demons for help or to perform some miracle or more important for later in the book, purification. This whole idea that we as humans can perform some ritual, and in the ancient context, this is pretty much magic. You know, you're performing whatever incantations, you're performing these rituals and spells and whatnot. Um, It's really linked with ancient magical practices. And Augustine says, this is really below the gods, even in pagan ideas. And one quote from Augustine really demonstrates why he thinks this is so below the gods. He says in chapter 11, for men threaten to batter the heavens and to perform other feats beyond human competence so that the gods may be terrified by false and absurd menaces like silly children and induced to fulfill men's commands. So all of these rituals, this theurgy is an attempt to force the god or demon, or angel, or whatever you want to call it, into some sort of service for us. And Augustine said, even in your own, especially Platonistic philosophy, this is absurd to think that the gods are so low that we can force them to do our bidding. So this whole idea of theurgy, that we can summon the gods to do our bidding, is below any reasonable philosophy It's below the gods, even in pagan philosophy. But we do have divine messengers, um, these beings who serve God and who do help humans. These are what we call angels. They're, in a sense, divine intermediaries, but they simply point us to the true God and they reveal God's law. They make no demands of worship, they don't purify us, they don't do these miracles just because we coerced them to. They simply exist to lead us to the only one who brings us felicity, that is happiness and immortality. They point us to the one who purifies us. So this gets into the idea of purification. and. The Platonism against which Augustine argues teaches cleansing of three parts of a person by three different principles. That is, mind, or the reason, the body, and what we might call spirit, though Augustine says that the whole concept of spirit isn't as clear in the language used by the Platonists. So he says that's almost like Trinitarianism, because there is... You know, the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son is the reason, the logos, the logic of the Father. So you could say that the logos is kind of like the mind, maybe the body is kind of like the Father, and then the Spirit, but it's not close enough for Augustine. Because most importantly, 
in Christian theology, it is only one true principle, not three principles. So when we speak of the triune God, these three persons, we are really only speaking of one principle. And this principle cleanses the entire person, mind, body, and spirit. In theurgy, this practice of summoning um, the gods or demons for cleansing, according to Apuleius, the Platonistic philosopher, this can only cleanse the spiritual soul, which in his philosophy is lower actually, than the intellectual soul. So only one part of the person can be cleansed, and it's not the highest part of a person. And for Augustine, this just isn't adequate. Theurgy is not going to bring humans liberation. It's not going to bring them to the state of eternal happiness. It won't help them to escape mortality, and it won't help them to escape their passions and their vices. So how can the body be purified? How can we be liberated from these shackles? It's only through the one true God and through the sacrifice of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Now, at the end of this book, you may have found yourself speeding up because you finally get to some stuff that makes sense. Augustine is finally preaching. He's talking about Jesus and how great Jesus is and how we are cleansed. He says that the universal salvation, that means the way that every single human can be liberated and the only way that any human can be liberated is through Christ. So through these 10 chapters... Augustine has been leading to this point, to the answer the question, where can humans attain eternity and true happiness? And those two things both must exist if a human is to be liberated. It's not in the worship of the gods because the gods themselves are immoral and horrible. It's not through the demons. It's not through coercing these divine th beings to give us things and to do things for us. And even according to the very teachers of this philosophy of this pagan religion, their own rituals of purification are inadequate. There's only one way that teaches full liberation of all humans, and that is through the gospel. Now, we finally finished part one of the city of God. And Augustine says in part two, which we're finally getting to, we will discuss the city of God and the city of earth. And these two, he says, are commingled in strange ways, and we have to kind of parse out how are we supposed to be citizens of this city of God while living in the city of earth. So tune in next time when we will begin this discussion of the two cities. As always, if you'd like to support our podcast, you can go to patristicapress.com and check out the books there. Uh, Patristica Press is a worker-owned press owned by myself and my co-host Gerhard Steuben and our colleague Jake Robbie. We make ethical books ethically. You can check out some of the titles that we've got up there. 
You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Make sure to leave us a review on Facebook and iTunes. It really helps to get the message out about our podcast, and more people will see it if you do that. So until next time, farewell, children of love and peace. May the Lord of glory and all grace be with your spirit. Amen.